Here's a statistic that many of us know too well. Two out of every five Canadians suffer some form of mental illness. If that were any other sickness or disease, our nation would have declared it an epidemic. Of course, if you ask healthcare workers, they would say that is exactly what it is. And yet they are overtaxed by the demands on the system. And those who are in desperate need of the system say it is failing them. The question is, can the church make any difference? In a couple of weeks, people from churches across the city will be gathering at the Catholic Pastoral Center downtown Calgary to ask that question, to learn how we can. In this podcast, we wanted to explore the unique perspective faith brings to this conversation. How do we understand mental health from a faith perspective? How is the church called to respond? Can the church make any difference in stemming the rising tide of mental illness in our society? A lot of questions. And our search for answers begins with a story. It is a true story. The speaker is Catherine Heimbigner-Tenner, a mother deeply involved in her local church who has been tirelessly advocating for mental health resources in Calgary for several years. Last Thursday evening, standing on stage in front of over 600 delegates of the Calgary Alliance for the Common Good, she told the story of a young girl whose family she had been trying to support for some time, hoping it would call attention to the desperate need of care for those suffering mental illness. She recounted how this girl had spiraled into a terrible depression. The parents had managed to get her into a 10-week program, but Just prior to the final session, the girl started inflicting cuts along her arms. But it was too late. They would need to wait again for the next program. In the time between, the girl tried to commit suicide three times. The parents pleaded for admittance to another program, but were given no hope beyond being placed on a waiting list. I asked Catherine if she could meet with me the next day. I wanted to hear more about the stories of people she encountered, to ask her if she thought, in light of all the challenges people face in finding proper support, whether the church could really make a difference. Where can the church bring healing to those suffering mental illness? Well, I don't want people to go away thinking that the answer is then to pour more money into the system to hire more psychologists because obviously this person does need that help, but um, there's something that we can all do and that is being a connect, being there for someone in need, helping to reduce the stigma, you know, sending a text to a friend that says, you know, I know you're having a hard day, call me if you want to talk. And, you know, so the older people might say, well, text is impersonal, but um, I know of a case where someone was feeling suicidal and they'd received a text earlier in the day from someone um, that had said, I care about you, I'm here if you want to talk. And that person sat in a car um, with a bottle of pills in their hand and looked down at their phone and remembered the text and they picked up the phone and put down the pills. That's community, That's the power of community. That person wasn't a psychologist, wasn't a distress center worker, it's just somebody that cared. And so that's the power of community and caring. 
One of the session leaders for the workshop is Father Christina Bouvet, currently Director of Young Adult and University Ministries for the Diocese. I asked him why he felt motivated to be a part of this workshop on mental health. I, I happened to be invited once earlier to, to give a talk on my, my perspectives regarding the interface between faith and mental illness and what kind of sense can we make of that. And I was shocked at the turnout of people who thought this was relevant and for whom it was important to hear someone representing their faith tradition speaking on this topic. And so that was the sign to me that this is important, this matters, this is a relevant subject in people's lives. And so my hope for this conference is that it will remind those who are suffering that they are not alone, that they are not abandoned, uh, principally by Christ, but also neither by his church, uh, that we are one, that if we call ourselves the body of Christ, it is impossible to conceive of suffering alone. Uh, but also for those maybe who wouldn't say that they themselves are suffering, but know someone who is, that that through these uh, talks and uh, and these conferences, they might come to have a, a deeper understanding of how they can be Christ to others, to those who they are trying to walk towards an Emmaus with uh, and be for them that, uh, that same source of comfort. Father Cristino raises the issue of suffering, which is probably at the same time the greatest mystery and obstacle for us understanding why people close to us struggle through such things as mental illness. I asked Father Cristino to talk a little bit more about how we understand suffering from a faith perspective. My, my thoughts turn immediately to a beautiful passage of Scripture that our Holy Father, Pope Francis, uh, is often uh, making reference to in his teaching, and it's the road to Emmaus. Uh, you encounter in that passage a couple of pretty distraught people. Their lives came crashing down on them those days because they had put everything into believing that Christ was the answer to their, to their problems he was their liberation, and in fact, he was, but they still couldn't see it. So we can imagine a couple of pretty depressed and anxious people there. And it says that our Lord walked alongside them and said, what are you discussing as you go along the way? That is what I believe is our Lord's response to us in the midst of our suffering our chaos, our confusion. Imagine finding yourself in an absolute disaster and some guy walking up to you and saying, oh, is everything okay? No, it's not okay. Okay, well, tell me about it. What's not okay? And what is our answer to that? You know, he wants to walk alongside of us. And then we need to make our response the same as those apostles. It says that the sun was setting and they got to their destination. And as he was walking along, it, it, he indicated that he was going to continue. And they say, stay with us, Lord. Stay with us. For the day is now far spent. And if we can just make that our prayer, that's how I would want to encourage those who are suffering in this way uh, call out to him. He is there. And it looks like he's walking away from you. 
And so call out to him, stay with me, Lord. For my day is now far spent, that it is dark around me. Having someone come into your life and say, oh, hang in there, or offer it up, or, you know, the little platitudes that, as especially as Catholics, I think we find it very easy to just sort of throw out there sometimes because we actually don't know what to say or have an answer. So we say those little things that aren't false, but they're not helpful. If instead we just walk alongside someone and be Christ for that person and not have an answer, not have an encouraging word, but just being there, in many ways I think that's all that we can do. The next person I spoke to was Dr. Peter Doherty. He understands the challenges many Christians face in relating difficult spiritual questions to issues such as mental health. You see, Dr. Doherty is a psychologist and also a priest. He teaches at St. Mary's University, as well as having his own personal practice, and is a pastor to many students and staff on campus. Dr. Doherty talks about the disconnect between spirituality and mental health he sees in people every day. Problems have a spiritual component. They're going to have a psychological component. They're going to have a sociological component, you know, in it. You know, for example, I've done a lot of work with addictions, and I can focus simply on, you know, the conditioning process that a, that an addict experiences. But that addict's also in a community. That addict's also in a family. And now there's there's broken relationships. There is uh, possibly self-esteem issues, uh, forgiveness issues, self-forgiveness, forgiveness of others, and so we're looking at a very simple reality. Well, simple, I take that back, but we're looking at a human experience and it's felt on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. And we can look at someone who's experiencing depression. Is that, is that psychological? Yes. Is that spiritual? Yes. If they're lacking meaning in, in, in their life and, and the relationship with God is not existent. Yes. They may, that may lead, that may be a reflection of the depression or help cause the depression. So, you know, which is it? So as we are hearing from both Father Cristino and Dr. Doherty, it's vital that we learn how to respond to people's suffering in a discerning way. Because their stories are often complex, there's many layers that we need to understand and unravel. Sometimes they're not even aware of it themselves. I reached out to Dr. Kanita Ip who's also on the team of presenters of the upcoming workshop. She's a researcher in social work at the University of Calgary, and I asked her to give her perspective how important it is to be educated if we are to promote mental health in our communities. As it turns out, between research projects and early motherhood, it was hard to find a time to sit down with her. But she did take a moment to record her thoughts, and she sent them in. Here's what she offered. I think educating our communities, including church communities, student communities, workplace communities and families about the causes and symptoms of mental illness, misunderstandings and myths, and the negative impact of stigma associated with mental illness is very important. Helping people understand this issue with correct and evidence-based information is the first crucial step to remove stigma and discrimination in the society. So when people understand that mental illness is not something to be blamed or something to be ashamed of, or when people in trouble feel that their voice heard, their worries, their thoughts and struggles understood, 
I think they will become less guarded, more willing to seek help from the medical or mental health professionals, families and friends, and church communities. In my conversation with Catherine, I learned that she was preparing to be a full-time pastoral care worker and that she had just completed a practicum of clinical pastoral education at a hospital here in Calgary. I asked her whether that experience brought her greater insight into the reality of those suffering mental illness. Well, I was actually on the renal unit, and um, so they tend to be longer-term patients. And uh, actually a quarter of my patients were Indigenous. And so I got to spend a lot of time with them. And, you know, that, um, when we talk about mental illness playing into um, physical illness, this, this would be a really good example because most of the people in the renal unit are diabetics, um, that um, the diabetes has caused kidney failure. And... Um, it, some some of it is because they don't know how, they can't take care of themselves, and some of that is for mental illness reasons. And the indigenous patients, you know, you hear about um, epigenetics and intergenerational trauma and abuse and addiction and um, the pain that um, they have experienced. And then you you see no wonder they're struggling. And so um, the interplay between physical and mental wellness can't can't be uh, understated either. I hope my guests in some way has inspired you, challenged you to step out into our community as the church and to believe that we can make a difference. And perhaps you'll be motivated to join us in the upcoming workshops so that we can continue this conversation and learn together how the church can make a difference in the lives of people who are suffering mental illness. The final word I want to leave with you is one of hope. During my conversation with Father Cristino, he shared a personal story that both captured the complexity of our individual suffering and the redemptive hope that from a faith perspective lies at the heart of all of our stories. I want to share this with you now as a word of hope for each of us who may be struggling right now with a burden that seems too great to bear or those who feel helpless as they watch someone close to them, who they love, have to carry it. I witnessed that in the life of uh, one of my grandfathers who died of Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, his life and independence and manhood and dignity day by day just slipped away from him. Uh, and yet his mind was as sharp as ever. Uh, he watched himself become a shell of the man he had been. Uh, he watched his children change his diaper and bathe him and dress him uh, and knew what was happening. That was... To me, as at the time a 12-year-old boy, a glimpse into a kind of suffering that went far deeper than just simply not being able to use his body now. There was a mental anguish there 
that for me was epitomized in one of the last things I heard him say before he lost the basic use of his voice. Some family of ours came from here in Calgary, actually. We were living in Medicine Hat, and they arrived to our house, and one of my cousins leaned down and said, Uncle Pasquale, how, how are you feeling? And he said, I feel like hell, and I wish I was dead. And he meant that. And yet, I also watched him grow in love and appreciation over the remaining months of his life for what he saw his family do for him. And I had the privilege and honor of being at his deathbed and by his side and all of us, his entire family, were there with him. And he looked around that room and he was at peace. He died a man at peace because he knew he was loved and he knew that there was nothing that this disease could fundamentally take away from him, that he wasn't already going to just leave behind in this life anyhow. But what was with him at the end was something that could never be taken away from him. Thank you for joining us in Finding Faith. We look forward to being with you again in our next episode.